This podcast covers mature, intense, morbid, and sometimes just scary stuff. Listener discretion is advised. Hair standing up on the back of your neck, goosebumps climbing up your arms, frozen in place, unable to scream. How does your body react to pure terror? Usually by peeing my pants, but that's neither here nor there, Jess. Now welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. Jessica, we are coming off of a pretty tough episode last week. We talked about coffin birth. I don't know why I want to laugh, but it was very hard. And it's it's just, it was so heavy. It's, I hadn't, I have no, I can't, I'm just laughing at it. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, it's 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 heavy. And sometimes when you talk about heavy subjects, all you can do is laugh, right? That's our natural response. But I think this week we're going to have a little bit more fun. And we like to advertise ourselves as the most fun, morbid podcast <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there you go. Um, and yeah, we've talked about like exorcisms, death on cruise ships, spontaneous human combustion. CTE. Yes. Cursed objects and do- like so, so many things. Mm-hmm, um, we're, yeah. We are midway through the now sixth season of this podcast. I know. Jeez, mm-hmm. oh, I think I loved the death clocks, the Mariana Trench, you name it. If it's creepy or piques our curiosity, we want to know about it. Yes. And I'm sure you, listener, feel the same. And maybe when you're listening to this podcast late at night by candlelight alone in a cabin in the woods, as we imagine it. That's that's how I picture all of our listeners. Just yes. listening to our podcast. <laughs> That is how we are picturing you right now <laughs> in that ambience. And uh, as Jess and I are guiding you through, let's say, maybe like the dark history of the Ouija board, you know, we're talking about demons and communing with the dead. Maybe you start to feel perhaps a little uneasy. Yeah, not only that, but I don't know, you start to feel cold. Burr. In fact, a, a shiver runs down the back of your spine. You notice that the hair on the back of your neck stands up. You rub your arms to generate heat and you feel how prickly they are with goosebumps. Suddenly, there's a knock at the cabin door. (gasps) But how? Who could possibly know where you are miles off the grid in the dead of the night all alone? You motion to open the door, but you can't move. Your feet are frozen to the ground. You try to speak out to call out, but no sound will escape your lips. It doesn't matter, though, because the door swings on its own, just a crack. And then, slowly, it starts to swing open, wider. And there, standing, backlit against the full moon, you see someone. And that someone is us. It's me and Jess. It's us! (laughs) Coming to see if you listen to the newest episode. Yeah, that uh, that Ouija board episode is like from four seasons ago. It's a way back playback. Not that it isn't always evergreen. You can listen to it at any time. But we're talking coffin birth now, as you know. (laughs) So you've got some catching up to do, mister. Anyway, we are two very harmless gals. But in that moment, under those circumstances, with that kind of atmosphere around you, we held the potential to be pretty terrifying. I mean, you seem pretty scared. Uh huh. And, And your brain generated that fear all on its own. And that's what we're covering today. The science of fear and our relationship psychologically and biologically to it. Did you think of yourself as a fearful person, Jess? I live my life through fear 
just like in general, like fear of failure, feel of not doing a project perfect. When it comes to like fear the way we were just talking about it, I can, my brain can psych myself up to legitimately being scared even if there is nothing around. It's, it's insane. Oh, yes. A powerful imagination. hundred percent. Yeah. I don't really get scared at horror movies. Sometimes like you, if I'm home alone, maybe my husband's out of town. I'm like, what's that sound? Should I check that out? Of course I need to check that of out. Of course. We're just so <laughs> stupid. We have to I, go look at it. Yeah. I think I have similar anxieties in life to you. You know? Yeah. I sometimes conflate, oh, the fear of dying alone with the anxiety of dying alone. A hundred percent. Yeah. I would say though that fear is a universal emotion, not only with humans, but amongst all animals. And yeah, we're not just talking like jump scares and ghosts. We're talking real fear, the strong, unpleasant emotion caused by the anticipation or awareness that danger is coming. Yes. Fear is a defense mechanism. We treat it as a warning sign. It's how our species has been able to stay alive for generations and other species. A physiological body-mind response that tells us we're not safe anymore and we should do something about it. Our brain sends the body signals in order to protect ourselves. From flight or fight to paranoia to phobias, the human relationship with fear is quite unique. When people get scared, they react impulsively to protect ourselves. It's like when you see in a horror movie, somebody thinks there's there's someone in their house and they grab a spatula. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's that spatula going to do? Yeah. <laughs> there are four categories that determine someone's fear response. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. The phrase fight or flight tends to get used quite often, so you've probably at least heard of those two. Mm-hmm. And fr- moving forward throughout uh, this episode, we will refer to fight, flight, freeze, or fawn as So when you hear that, just Which is also the sound somebody can make when they sound scared. That's true. Yes. Um, The flight response is an active response to fear. You fight back when you're scared. This response can manifest as a physical or verbal altercation, and it's often accompanied by an intense, angry feeling. The mystic Rajneesh said, anger is fear in disguise, which I get. Like, I think sometimes people, they get scared and then they're like, oh, how could I get scared by this? Or if somebody does a prank and they scare you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, you watch a TikTok video and there's a a parent that's getting scared by their kid. Mm -hmm. And then the the parent's reaction usually is like, oh, how could you do this? Yeah, no, it does make sense. Yeah. The second one is the freeze response. When fear immobilizes a person, they're not able to fight, run, hide, or scream. And this is so interesting to me because if you've ever like played games with your friends, whether you're a kid or or an adult, um, this happened to me just recently where my partner was chasing me around the house. We were just like playing tag, just like being idiots. Oh my God. And he, (laughs) I legitimately, yeah, I legitimately hated that he was chasing me. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to get me. I just stopped and I froze. Like there's, I was like, he's just going to get me. And I just stopped and froze. I was like, why did I do that? Like, I hate You let him get you. Yeah, I let him get me. But the freeze response, I was just like, I just froze because I couldn't, I just couldn't. That's the best way to describe it is I just couldn't. So I just froze. I I was in a situation recently. I was in a bar, not a bad bar or anything, like a really cool bar in Silver Lake watching a friend's band play. And there was a bar fight that broke out near me. And it was some something stupid where like infighting between members of a band, right? And mm-hmm. it was not one of those things where it's going to really get aggressive, but you don't want to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And we were kind of close to it, my friend and I. And 
I was like, oh shit, like gonna hightail out of here, not gonna be around for this. And so I start to move away and then I look back and she has just frozen down. She shut down and she's just standing there. So I went and I grabbed her and I pulled her and I was like, we got to get out of there. Yeah. Um, And she was like, glad you grabbed me because I went into an immediate freeze. Yeah. I just couldn't. I, I don't know. Yeah. You just shut down. Yeah. And that's what that response does. It shuts the body down. I feel like it puts your mind into this stasis. Yeah. place too because you can't think fast enough sometimes the person uh, is literally frozen in place from fear imagine being so terrified that you feel like your feet are stuck in cement and you can't move that is the freeze response yeah and and it like you know I've never really felt that on a real level before but I have on like these dumb little levels that we're just talking about and it's and it's it's that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. And like some people who are prone to the fear response can even experience selective mutism. That's when like a person is unable to speak due to anxiety. See this a lot in anime. Uh-huh. <laughs> Their vocal cords become paralyzed and they are unable to speak until the fear or anxiety passes. Yeah. Evolutionary theories suggest that the freeze response might actually be the brain trying to avoid detection by predators. So cool. It is so cool. Like what's, I have a, I have like a group of bunnies, wild bunnies that live in the woods behind my house. And I've been trying to bait them to come cuddle with me by like giving them food (laughs) and stuff. And so I went outside my backyard today and the bunny hopped away from me. And then as soon as I got a little bit closer, it just stopped. It just froze. And, and I know it, it, I know it was a fear tactic for the bunny. But of course, you know, I was like, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to hurt you. But it just like froze because I think it just like didn't know what else to do in that moment. And then I backed away. I was like, I know you're scared. I think also some animals think if I just freeze, I can blend in with my surroundings, camouflage. Yeah. And nature's natural response. And you can't see me. Yep. But it's like, rabbit, I can absolutely see you. Yep. And I think (laughs) you're super cute. (laughs) Yeah. And I just want to feed you and love you. Mm Mm-hmm. In addition to this, another response is flight. So just getting the F out of there. If your brain doesn't feel like it can fight off the threat, then your brain will tell you to run. Yeah, if the danger is something that can be outrun, then the flight response can be quite effective. But if you cannot outrun it, then you may just have a really big problem on your hands. Watch any slasher movie to see a helpless victim unable to outrun their attacker, and you will see where the problem (laughs) comes in here. And I think this is why we all collectively shout run when we're watching like a Scream movie and Ghostface is chasing a teenager around a house because it seems like the smart thing would be, you don't know if you can fight this off. You just need to run and get out of there. Yep. It's like kind of like your best chance at survival. Like at least you're going to try because if you stay there, it's only going to get worse. So even if you can't outrun them, at least like, I don't know, it's your body. It's it's your only survival tactic in that moment. Mm -hmm. You're like, I just, I have to go. Yeah. Just be away from where there is an issue. The final of the big four fear responses is fawn. It's the f in f. <laughs> it's common in survivors of trauma. You avoid abuse by keeping your abuser as happy as possible, essentially fawning over them. Yes. Note here, though, engaging in the fawn response does not mean that the victim is consenting to the abuse. Their brain is just simply trying to practice self-preservation. Yes, the victim is aware, whether subconsciously or consciously, that if they don't keep their abuser happy, the abuse could get even worse. And we know when people are put in horrific situations, the brain can work overtime to protect us. I would wager that Stockholm Syndrome is akin to or another version of this. Yes, and like kidnapping victims might engage in a fond response. I think of the movie Split with Anya Taylor-Joy and James McAvoy. Yes, that was great. 
yeah, it seems like she's, it's like, how can you just kind of like engage your kidnapper and try to just placate them? Fear can also manifest as disgust. So a fear of snakes could also be felt as a disgust of snakes. Or take something like trypophobia and aversion or repulsion to objects like honeycombs and sponges that have repetitive patterns or clusters of small holes. Someone with this phobia might feel more queasy than fearful. I remember there was a season of American Horror Story where all the visual visuals of the, the show leaned into this and people were really turned off by it. Yeah. Of snakes particular or just the mere uh, fact of disgust? The, the small holes, the cluster of holes, oh. the trypophobia. Oh. Yeah. I have a couple friends that have a phobia of man-made structures in water. Oh, I have a phobia of, when, when you say, okay, when you say man-made structures in water, like, like piping out, like oil yes. rigs? Yes. yes. Or, or you would see something, it's like, it's like the ocean depths are so vast. How is this possible? So mine is kind of similar. Yeah. If I were to just be swimming in the ocean, for some reason, I feel like this is more just towards in the ocean versus like on land. And I don't know why, but yeah, if I were just swimming in the ocean and someone dropped me down next to an oil rig and I'm just swimming next to it, that freaks me out. The The sheer size of it and the fact that it's made out mm -hmm. of metal and steel. I don't know. Same thing. If I were just swimming next to a giant boat, cruise ship, one of those, they, it just scares the shit out of me. But see, if I was next to an airplane, I feel fine. It's for some yeah. reason only in the water with these giant metal big structures where I'm like, I hate this. And it could have something to do with the water too. And just the depths of like, I don't yeah. know, being or, close or, to the propeller. Oh, it's, yeah. Or maybe ugh. feeling like you could go under it. Or something like yes. that. Yes. So, so maybe it's sucking me down. I don't know. But I have that same phobia. I do not like dark water where the kind of water where if you swim over it, it's just blackness mm -mm. beneath you. Mm -mm. I've tried to swim over water like that. I was snorkeling in Hawaii and there was a point where there was a, a cliff in the ocean, essentially. So if you continued swimming forward, you would cross into dark water territory where you could see nothing behind uh, beneath you. And I couldn't mentally make myself do it. No. A few people did it, but then okay. they immediately swam back. <laughs> Is it because the water was so deep or was it because the water, was it like not clear there or something? Like why I, was it black? Oh, why was it so black? I think it's because the the depth was so the deep. deep. The deep, yeah. yeah. And that's just scary because you don't know what's how deep it goes and how yeah, that's just terrifying. Which, if this is giving you the heebie-jeebies right now, you should listen to our Mariana Trench yes. episode. <laughs> Ab absolutely, yeah. yeah. But scientists have actually like studied the ways that disgust versus fear manifests in us physiologically, right? Yeah, there was a really cool study where an eye-tracking technique called pupillometry was used. And scientists and doctors, they took a pupil size and reactivity and measured it. So generally speaking, if someone has a fear response, their pupil will increase in size, whereas a disgust response causes the pupil size to decrease. Because fear is a way to keep us safe, it would not be healthy to completely reject fear. We want our brains to accurately interpret when our bodies are unsafe. Yes. Fear ends up being composed of two primary reactions, biochemical and emotional. The sympathetic uh, nervous system regulates the biochemical reactions. Biochemically, fear affects your amygdala. The amygdala is located in the medical temporal lobe in the prefrontal cortex in front of the hippocampus. Woof. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of medical jargon, but like basically in your brain. <laughs> this is all happening yes. in your brain. Yes. 
The amygdala detects stress in your surrounding environment and processes emotion. The hippocampus controls things like spatial navigation, learning, and memory. But when a person experiences fear, their brain reroutes energy from the hippocampus to the amygdala portion of the brain. Once the amygdala senses fear, the cerebral cortex, the part of the brain responsible for reasoning and judgment, is impaired. So this is where that uh, survival instinct kicks in, acting impulsively without rationalization. Yes. In this situation, you can find it difficult to actually make a decision or to think clearly. Someone might just like throw their hands in the air and scream because they just can't rationalize what's happening to them. Yeah. I feel like in that moment, your brain's just like hijacked because your body's mm-hmm. like telling you, alert, alert, alert. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the ringing ear. Yes. <laughs> the stranger danger of the brain. Yes. Yeah. Essentially. So yeah, when afraid, stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline are released, and adrenaline causes the heart rate and blood pressure to increase, kicking in one of the four fear responses. It's all coming together. And then the amygdala also releases multiple neurotransmitters into the body, one of the most important neurons being glutamate, which is needed for keeping your brain functioning. Glutamate is sent to the periaqueductal gray. This is the region of the brain that plays a key role in the unconscious function of the brain. This provides a sympathetic nervous response consisting of defensive actions and adverse behaviors. It can be why it's hard to speak, scream, or make rational decisions when a person is scared. The sympathetic nervous system is a network of nerves that helps your body activate the fight or flight response. It kicks into high gear when you're stressed, afraid, or physically active. It's not under our conscious control, as Jess said, so we don't have to think for it to happen. It just does when we need it. Yeah. And sometimes, though, I know I'm so happy that we have that. So it's just there for us. But there's sometimes we're like, if you are kidnapped or something's happening where I like, I do need to think in this moment, though. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I need to, I know I'm, my survival instincts are kicking in, but I also have to, like, there's a portion of my brain that I'm like, how the fuck do I get out of here to where, like, I can't be frozen with fear or, you know what I mean? I'm sure that. That's something in the military you are taught, right? You're totally, I would assume so. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're any any kind of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Because you have to, I, I would assume it, it takes repetition to kind of work on that. Like, I'm sure there are fields too that we're not thinking of. If you are a doctor, for example, and a patient comes <gasps> into the ER with a really traumatic injury, you have to overcome every natural human response that you would have and- treat them, right? Yeah. You can't just like freak out if like their heart is like halfway out of their chest, but they're yeah. still alive. Yeah. Yep. Examples of the sympathetic nervous system responses are increased heart rate, dilation of the pupils, secretion of sweat glands, dilated muscles, increased alertness, slowing down or stopping digestion or relaxation of the bladder. Like I know when I have anxiety or I'm scared, my, my I think the first thing to go is like my digestion is fucked. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. When someone says the symptoms included gastrointestinal and autonomic disturbance, that means someone pooped their pants (laughs) from fear. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I always make it to the bathroom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My stomach will just be in knots. And I'm like, why am I having diarrhea right now? Oh, I'm terrified and I have anxiety. (laughs) Anxiety for sure is a big trigger. If you're a survivor of traumas, then your brain might be more likely to activate this response and anticipation of future danger. Yes. This sympathetic nervous system is not to be confused with the parasympathetic nervous system, which is a network of nerves that relaxes your body during periods of rest. While the physical manifestation of fear due to perceived danger sends messages to your body, The emotional manifestation of fear can also wreak havoc on your nervous system. 
there are five emotions associated with fear, anxiety, apprehension, nervousness, dread, fright, and panic. And we're going to talk about these after a word from our sponsors. We're also going to talk about how horror movies and media prey on our fears and harness them. Jess, it is summer. I want to be at the beach. It's hot out, but it's so, so bright. The sun reflecting off the sand, bouncing in my eyes, blinding me. I think you're just staring at the sun, Ali. You don't stare <laughs> at the sun. That's not good. <laughs> don't. But if you want to stare at the sun, don't stare at the sun. <laughs> that means it's time for Sunnies from Shady Rays. Yes, Shady Rays has premium polarized shades at an affordable price. And they're an independent sunglass company that offers sunglasses that are every bit as quality as the expensive pair I've worn. I love them. They are durable and sturdy. They have super crystal clear optics, perfect for the great outdoors. Shady Rays also has a wild protection wild. plan. And this is great because if you're someone like me that sits on their sunglasses mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. um, this is for you. Even though I have sat on a pair of my Shady Rays and they haven't broken, a testament to them. But anyway... Their wild protection plan, their sunglasses are backed by lost and broken replacements. So if you lose or break a pair, even on day one, they'll send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Can we just just zero in on that there? The lost. <laughs> if you lose a pair, are you kidding me? I lose yeah. sunglasses all the time. This is unreal. It is. It's it's incredible. Plus, every purchase supports the Shady Rays Impact Program, which works directly with nonprofits and their communities to make adventure accessible for all walks of life. Love that. What is this so perfect much. sunglass place? Shady I, I know. <laughs> and <laughs> what is Jess, this? I have their like no tangle aviators, which are so amazing because you know, you have long hair, you put your sunglasses up on oh, your head. My they God. get twisted up. You rip out those little baby hairs, the front of your forehead. This they, is so good to know. Yeah. Only because I know me and you have the sandstone pair. I love them. I will say I have an aviator pair from another brand I will not name, and they get stuck in my hair all oh. the time. <laughs> You got to so. <laughs> get the Shady Rays ones. It, it's life-changing. They're so, so, and they're comfortable too. They're great. Perfect. Uh, I'm out the door right after this. But mm-hmm. good thing exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code 30MM for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Thank you, Shady Rays. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip the trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Jess, it's summer. I want to be out there having fun. I don't want to be spending time figuring out what I'm having for dinner, grocery shopping. HelloFresh delivers mouthwatering chef-crafted recipes and fresh ingredients right to my door so I can spend summer doing whatever I want, which you know is being inside playing video games, (laughs) but also outside swimming, biking, having a good time, and then coming home and making a delicious meal for myself, which actually means my husband makes it for me with (laughs) HelloFresh, but I I like it too. It's something we can do together. Do you and 
and Devin ever do that? Because we enjoy making HelloFreshes together. No, I absolutely do. And I was just going to say there have been plenty of times where I just like want dinner right now and mm-hmm. I am starving and thank God HelloFresh is there. And I'll be like, Devin, can you please just help me make this? It literally is 15 minutes or less. So convenient. And so, yeah, it's great. We just tag team it real quick. And I feel like I'm not like ordering food or heating up something frozen. I'm like, I cooked this meal. Yes. With my partner <laughs> and it's healthy. So I'm winning on both accounts. Yes. It's also 25% less expensive than takeout. See? Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. thank you, HelloFresh. Yeah. But yeah, go to HelloFresh.com slash 30MM16 and use code 30MM16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. Yes. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 30MM16 and use code 30MM16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. That's 30MM16, HelloFresh.com. And you know HelloFresh, it's America's number one meal kit. Back to the show. We're talking about the five emotions that we associate with fear, right, Jess? Yeah, and sometimes fear can feel quite abstract and you might not notice you're experiencing it. Author Ruth Sukup, the author of the book Do It Scared, surveyed 4,000 adults and found that the type of fear that holds people back in life manifests itself in several different ways. She refers to these as fear archetypes, as the procrastinator, the rule follower, the people pleaser, the outcast, the self-doubter, the excuse maker, and the pessimist. And if you've done any kind of introspection, (laughs) self-introspection, therapy, or just analysis, you, this is probably fascinating to you (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, because our brains are trying to keep us safe, right? Procrastinators, for example, may procrastinate in order to protect themselves from feeling failure. Or the outcasts might intentionally distance themselves from larger social groups to protect themselves from feeling rejection. And even so, the physical manifestations of fear can be impacted by these emotional responses. Yeah. If you're a pessimist, for example, your fear of disappointment might make you agitated, causing an increased heart rate. And perhaps the outcast experiences butterflies or some digestion rumbles when they're put in those social situations. One complicated form of fear is phobia, kind of like we are talking about before. Phobias are actually anxiety disorders, and they get really specific and can be an overwhelming and debilitating fear of a particular place, thing, situation, et cetera. There's a differentiation happening here that I really didn't think too much on before this, but the anxiety disorder induces the fear, but the fear itself is not the phobia right? A Mm -hmm. a phobia is an anxiety which results in fear, dread, or an unease. They affect the sympathetic nervous system similarly, and a person might scream, run, or freeze involuntarily. There's also something called anticipatory anxiety, which is a persistent worry that upcoming events involving the phobic object or situation is going to harm you. Some of the most common phobias that are in the U.S. right now, and we're going to do our best to pronounce these words, but here (laughs) we go. Uh, Misophobia, is the fear of dirt. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh at that, but like, I get it. We all have weird, there's something that happened where we're just afraid of these things. Yeah. I bet the next one pretty common though. Yes. This one, there's actually a name for it. Most people call it the fear of flying, but the correct term for it is, um, what is it, Elise? Teromerhanophobia. I can't pronounce it. So I put that on Elise. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I pronounced it. (laughs) But that's the 
fear of flying. Yeah. Which I think that a lot of people post pandemic, they stopped down on flying and came out of that feeling a little bit more anxious about it. For sure. And f- flying these, just in general, flying these days is just not the fun experience it used to be. Yeah. It just isn't. Social phobias, which remains, of course, you know, very real post pandemic. Mm-hmm. There's trypanophobia, the fear of injections, also, I'm sure, in a pandemic situation. <laughs> Astrophobia, the fear of thunder and lightning. That's a pretty cool one. Yeah. And uh, cynophobia, the fear of dogs, which you don't hear this one a lot because you, dogs are wonderful. I know you don't, but I get it. Like, I completely understand why somebody might be afraid of dogs for sure. And then maybe you've heard of uh, agoraphobia, which is the fear of open or crowded spaces, which is so funny because I know a lot of people are um, claustrophobic, but they like hate small spaces. I feel comfortable in small spaces. I definitely, with large open spaces, I'm afraid that some something's out there to hurt me and I can't see it. When I'm in a small space, I am aware of everything that's around me, if that makes oh, sense. Oh, that's interesting. I know. It's real weird. That that And I also feel very similar to the fear of things in water. It's like you don't know what's out maybe, there, maybe right? I don't, yeah, what happened to me in my childhood? Where I have these <laughs> deep fears. <laughs> Lost at Times Square. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, here's another phobia I have. Um, acrophobia, which is the fear of heights. I feel maybe I was dropped as a child. Um, <laughs> we can almost certainly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, this next one I'm going to pronounce as best I can. Ophidophobia. Ophidophobia. Yep. Elise got it. Fear of snakes. Which I do like snakes. So I, and I know a lot of people do not, but I- yeah. Um, well, you're a sicko. Um, and, you know, <laughs> arachnophobia, fear spiders. That's a common one. Yes. Yet I also like spiders. So. Again, something's wrong with you. <laughs> there are two other big ones, which I think a lot of people face. Nyctophobia, which is fear of the dark, which I think ties a lot into just fear of the unknown. What mm-hmm. we don't know, what we can't see. And dentophobia, fear of the dentist. I love that there's just a word for it. Yeah. Dentophobia. Yeah. I, the dentist is not a pleasant place. I get it. Dentists are a distinctly like messed up people. Like I bet we have a lot of, I would say wager that 80% of our listeners are dentists. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Dentists. I actually have a few dentist friends. That's, who, that's nice. Uh, are they I weird? Think they, I No, they're great. And I think they just, they just are able to kind of like divorce themselves from the work they're doing. Yeah. That's you know? great. Yeah. But yeah, fear becomes phobia when the phobia interferes with a person's day-to-day life. Prevent prevents them from doing stuff, right? Sure. Yeah. So if a person starts taking extreme measures to avoid heights, spiders, or water, they may have a phobia. Researchers haven't determined exactly why phobias happen or develop. It's been found that phobias can be genetic or environmental. Just the genetic one is pretty fascinating to that, me. That is fascinating because, mm-hmm. again, my first thought what we were talking about before, I'm like, what happened to me as like a child that yeah. <laughs> put this phobia in my body? <laughs> but if it's genetic, what? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like for millennia, humans have been learning and adapting in order to survive. And I'm sure you have and I'm sure you have heard of primal fear. And we're not talking about that uh, good old 96 crime thriller, Primal Fear, starring <laughs> Edward Norton. As it often comes back up on the podcast. <laughs> primal fear is an innate fear that is programmed into our brains. Fears that have been wired into the human brain due to evolution and DNA. Yeah, kind of like the idea of intergenerational trauma, which is a theory that trauma can be inherited because of genetic changes due to a person's DNA. Yeah, and we don't mean to like your lineage's hair or eye color. Instead, these changes completely alter how the gene functions. 
which is an epigenetic change. And while epigenetic change can be witnessed in fear responses, there's no such thing as like a fear gene that gets passed down. No, fear and anxiety are actually influenced by many genes, but this is maybe getting too heady. And I think your thoughts are probably starting to wander. You're wondering why you went out to that cabin (laughs) in the middle of nowhere in the first place. (laughs) So let's swing back around to basics here. Yeah, thanks, Elise, for that. Um, Biologically, humans have two innate fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud sounds. (laughs) (laughs) A study from 1960 looked at depth perception in infants that were 6 to 14 months, as well as in young animals. Scientists took a test uh, test group of babies and put them on a platform and had pexiglass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the babies were fine, but the visual of being like, I know. let's put these babies on plexiglass yeah. and see if they survive. And like an evil villain twirling his mustache, like, crawl, babies, crawl. Yeah. No, it does. It's very, it's very like villainy yeah. like that. Yeah, but they yeah. like put these babies, yeah, on a plot on a platform that had plexiglass beyond the edge of the surface, kind of like you know the Skywalk of the Grand Canyon. I've never been, but they did the same with small little animals too. Yeah, these sickos wanted to see if the babies and little animals would go over the imaginary cliff. <laughs> but surprise, most of the human and, and animal babies uh, did not. They stayed on the plexiglass, and well, yeah. uh, we honor those that did. Yeah. You know, I'm just kidding. There was no harm inflicted on these babies or animals. But yeah, that is due to a biologically embedded fear response of not wanting to fall, which stems from generations upon generations of layered survival instincts. We've all had that feeling when we're falling asleep and then you feel this big jolt in your body. This is a hypnic jerk or a benign myoclonic jerk. This is so fascinating. I love that it happens to all Mm -hmm. of us. It just happened to me the other night. Yeah, and it is normal for muscles to relax when you're falling asleep. A task of the parasympathetic nervous system mentioned earlier. But sometimes your brain can get confused and think your body is falling down. The brain tells your muscles to tense up, which is something whenever this happens to me, I'm always wondering how my brain knew that I was going to jerk before I did it. So it's, yeah, it's always like that, like I fell off a cliff or I fell mm-hmm. off my bike yeah, and then I do it. I'm like, what? How did it, how's this happening? I always pretend that I'm getting the kick from inception. <laughs> nice. That's yeah. a fun one. Yeah. Scientists have some theories as to how this became a primal fear response. One posits that the hypnic jerk started with our primate ancestors who slept in trees. And when they fell from these trees, their bodies would tense up before impact. So cool. That is, yeah, that's utterly fascinating. Yeah, essentially, it's an ancient body reflex telling you that you are about to fall. This uh, catching yourself feeling is what causes the jolt. The second primal fear, loud noises, as just mentioned, these can induce the acoustic startle reflex. When you hear a loud sound, you might instinctively cover your ears or duck down. That's what this is. It occurs not only in humans, but across many mammals. PTSD is sometimes recognized in people due to exaggerated acoustic startle reflex. It can also be attributed to frequency. So let's talk about professional engineer Vic Tandy for a moment, who had kind of a freaky experience related to this happen to him. In Britain, in the early 1980s, Tandy was working in a lab designing medical equipment, and there were some murmurs amongst the staff uh, of the lab being haunted, which Tandy poo-pooed. However, one evening while working in the lab alone, Tandy started to feel really, really uncomfortable, like cold sweat, hair on his neck standing up, that sort of thing. Moreover, he felt like he was being watched, 
and out of the corner of his eye, Tandy noticed a strange gray shape. But when he turned to face it, it was gone. Needless to say, he got the fuck out of there. (laughs) (laughs) The next day, he had another weird experience. Being an avid fencer, he would keep some of his foil fencing blades handy at the lab. And he noticed that one of his blades, which was clamped in a vise, was vibrating up and down really fast. But he wasn't sure what exactly was causing the blade to do that. Tandy discovered the vibrations were being caused by what's known as a standing sound wave. The sound wave was bouncing between the walls of the lab and had reached peak intensity at the center of the room. He calculated the sound wave to be at 19 hertz. This level falls in the frequency range known as infrasound, but the human ear doesn't hear frequencies under 20 hertz. So essentially, Tandy learned frequencies within this region of hertz can affect humans and animals in a bunch of different ways. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the sound in this lab was discovered to be from a newly installed extractor fan. (laughs) Uh, When it was turned off, the sound wave and the rumors of hauntings all stopped. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there was another similar experience at an allegedly haunted pub cellar in England. Patrons reported seeing a gray lady. Again, Tandy busted that paranormal investigation by uncovering another 19 hertz standing wave, further bolstering his frequency theory. If you're listening to sound below the range of human hearing, it can cause discomfort, dizziness, hyperventilation, panic attacks, blurred vision by vibrating your eyeballs, probably diarrhea. It's just... (laughs) I mean, Jess and I, if this happened to Jess and I, we would report our symptoms. Oh, yeah, we were dizzy, hyperventilating, had diarrhea. The doctor would be like, that's not a symptom of this. (laughs) Well, it is now. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, all these factors explain that gray mass that everybody was seeing. It's crazy. Uh, This stuff is so fascinating to me Mm -hmm. that this uh, this cause and effect stuff. Um, But interestingly enough, like researchers have recorded that right before an attack, a tiger's roar is about 18 hertz, which might disorient or paralyze the intended prey. So nature nature was like, make it 18 hertz, make yeah. it too below. <laughs> yeah. The recorded upper limit of the range of sound is closer to 20,000 hertz. Frequencies higher than 20,000 hertz are known as ultrasound. So think like high pitches. Lower frequencies between 10 to 15 hertz are associated with anxiety. 7 hertz, a super low frequency, can affect the human nervous system and cause confusion, anxiety, panic, and, well, you know, bowel movements. There it is. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) And this is how we get amazing, scary movie sound design. Oh, yeah. Horror filmmakers are essentially using your evolutionary biology against you just for fun. And we, the movie-going audience, have come to enjoy being scared. Scary movies are a great example of exploiting human physiological responses for simulated fear. And I, for one, say, use it. Do yeah. it. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with us? Why? Yeah. Like, we love it, but we, like, hate it, but mm-hmm. love it. One of the horror movies that really fucked me in the head, um, like Paranormal Activity, play with the sounds right around the 20 hertz threshold, also known as the sub-bass sounds. And then there's filmmaker Gaspar No, who uses nonstop sub-bass sounds, especially <laughs> during the first 30 minutes of the movie Irreversible, which if you've ever seen Irreversible, you wish that you could reverse seeing it because not that it's a bad movie, it's just a hard, traumatic watch. When it God. premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, 20 people fainted and needed medical attention. See, that, fuck that. <clears throat> this is not, mm-hmm. oh God. Yeah. Now I'm going to watch it just because, duh. It's, uh, it's one of those movies where at the end, they the reveal just has you like, uh, your gut, gut feels horrible. You know, you just, ugh. Damn. Yeah. Well, 
Um, but yeah, but there are also other ways that horror movies trick us into being afraid besides sound. Yes. Remember how he said that people see things when the frequency is just right? Well, The Exorcist took advantage of this, but with subliminal images. Yeah, the director placed a number of hidden images of a white face in the film. Each image only lasts like about an eighth of a second on screen, less than the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. I can picture it, the, the freeze frame of it. But with each flash on screen, the audience gets better and better at catching these. What this does, though, is induce a state of hypervigilance as you're watching it which is right where horror movies want you. They want you to be like jumpy and on the edge of your seat and preparing for what you think is coming next. Yeah, this happened to me a lot when I was watching The Haunting of Hill House because the director Mm. placed the characters, some of them, the dead people in the back. And I'm just like, oh God, are they over here? Yeah, and then then maybe I thought I saw something, but I didn't. And then I would freak myself out even more. Just, Mm -hmm. yeah. Another good one, The Shining, Stanley Kubrick uses negative space in the wide shots of the mountain roads in like the hotel hallways to cause unease. So all that empty negative space in the image induces the feeling that something is lurking, which triggers a fear response, which maybe this is more like the haunting of Hill House for me. Maybe both. Maybe it's all. Yeah. I think it's like different techniques, right? Like Mike Flanagan is is saying, I'm going to hide more stuff in the background. Stanley Kubrick said, I'm going to provide less and that's going to make them feel like something's off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But plenty of thrills we enjoy in life also play off of this fear response more than we probably realize. Like roller coasters, skydiving, river rafting, pranks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sometimes the adrenaline rush actually can make us feel good. Yeah. And again, this is tied to our endocrine system and our brain's response to adrenaline, noradrenaline, or cortisol rushes because our our brain goes into this protective overdrive after flooding us with good, happy chemicals. And studies have shown that many experience like an elevated mood after being scared. Yes. And this heavily ties into how particular people interact with horror media, particularly movies. According to a group of Danish researchers, there are three distinct horror fans, the adrenaline junkie, the white knuckler, and the dark coper. Oh, <laughs> I want to know which one you are, Jess, I, after we talk about these. Let's, let's, let's see. Okay, so yeah, the adrenaline junkie wants the intense experience of fear that they get when watching a scary movie or crawling their way through a haunted house. They want to be immersed and completely susceptible to the perceived fear. Unlike the adrenaline junkie, the white knuckler tries to downregulate their experience in a scary situation because they're genuinely afraid and not enjoying it. So they're probably like, you know, looking away at a horror movie, covering their face with a pillow. Yeah. And then this type of person probably avoids this kind of activity and like situations in the first place. Right. Finally, the dark coper is a sort of newly recognized category. And they're a fairly cognizant and active participant when it comes to scary stuff. There is an emerging wealth of info on how people who, quote unquote, dark cope, often use avenues like scary movies to help mitigate their anxiety. Because you're in a situation that's somewhat controlled, therefore you have more agency over your own emotional state. So like people with anxiety, I've read, tend to gravitate toward horror movies because it's a situation where they're not actually in their lives being affected. So they have like this complete control over how they they react and feel. And it's, it's yeah. a situation where they actually feel like they have that. Yeah. Oh, I completely get that. Like mm-hmm. whether you're genuinely afraid or engaging in, you know, fear for fun, fear is a big part of the human experience. It's not healthy to completely reject it. But out of out of those, I think I'm a mixture of the dark coper and then the um, 
white knuckler, I think, mm-hmm. for sure, mm-hmm. depending on the situation and depending on where my anxiety is in that moment. What about you? Are you the adrenaline junkie? I, I think adrenaline and dark cope are mixed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense for who we are on this podcast, too. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. hundred percent. And I like I like being able to watch a horror movie and being able to tell myself, like, this isn't real. That's a special effect. This actress went on to make 10 other movies after this, so clearly she was fine. Yes, (laughs) which I love. I absolutely love watching the BTS of horror movies. Uh, Mm -hmm. I recently got to see Evil Dead Rise in in theaters at South By, and the actress who played the main character who um, was a demonic type of character was there. And it was just so nice to like watch her talk and be a normal human after watching the chaos that ensued in that film. It just made me feel a lot better. Some of that like dark Coper situation oh, yes. uh, happened there. There are a lot of really, really great BTS docs and videos on YouTube for horror movies. I mean, for movies in general, but mm-hmm. there are some fun horror movie ones like for Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. All kinds of them. And like you mentioned, Jess, fear is part of the human experience. But in some extreme cases, there are those who literally cannot fear. Yeah. This is caused by a rare genetic disorder called Urbach-Weath disease, like a very rare, only some 400 people worldwide are affected by it. And from our understanding, this disorder creates calcium deposits in the brain, which ultimately destroys a person's fear center, which can get those who have the disorder into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've got, you know, the if you've got, if you got the Urbach weath, you won't stop yourself from touching a poisonous snake or or you're being mugged or held up by an armed robber. You might not you might actually like egg the robber on. Yes, you just don't have that switch inside you which says like fight flight, I should do one of these things. Like that's all out the window. You're just like, "Okay, let's do this." <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and for those of us, the vast majority of us uh who do feel fear. It's a truly unifying emotion. Yes. And one that we are glad exists because it keeps a lot of you coming back to this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) That is very true. Thank Mm -hmm. God. Amen for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so ends another foray into this. I like that we do these primers, Jess, of like the science of fear and the, you know, morbid history and stuff, because I think it, it, it it feeds into a lot of the other stuff we talk about Uh on the show. Yeah, this one was great because we all feel fear unless you do have the Urbach weave yeah. <laughs> uh, situation, which is very rare. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we all fear it. And like, you know, like we're just saying it's like a unifying emotion. We are all sickos listening to this podcast together. And I all mm-hmm. feel I feel closer to all of you, you know? Yeah, same. Yeah. And uh, we implore you to also feel closer to our friends over at Red Web who talk about internet conspiracies and all kinds of creepy stuff too. And I think if you enjoy this podcast, you'll like theirs too. Absolutely. We have some uh, new merch in our store uh, at store.roosterteeth.com under 30 Morbid Minutes. Please go check it out. We'd love for you to Mm -hmm. uh, purchase some. Let us know if you like them. Maybe send us some pics. I get compliments from friends and strangers who don't even realize at first that it's podcast merch. Same. Even some of my coworkers this past week, I've been yeah. wearing our merch and they're like, oh, I like that. I'm like, it's it's 30 more minutes. Yes. <laughs> you fools. Yeah. They're like, oh my God, really? I'm going to get it. I'm like, yeah, go get it. Yeah. I love it. And also thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you're not already subscribed, please do. And go back and listen to our archive because we have so many fun and morbid, but fun, evergreen episodes. Not everything's a coffin birth, I promise. 
Yes, of course, there's a, f- a few of those really dark ones. But th- isn't yes. that why you're here, though? Yeah. You know, you're here. Yeah, you for- brought this on yourself. You did. There's there's definitely got some real sick episodes. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're also on the social meds. Uh, at, uh, <laughs> mine is at Jessica Basami, at Elise Willems. And then at 30 More Minutes, we're on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. My favorite thing is listening to what Jess will call something as the nickname, whether it's social meds or the, the tickers <laughs> for TikTok. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a good thing because this is the language that I speak with my partner. We just don't speak in real words and it's mm-hmm. not okay. It's mm-hmm. it's gone too far to the point where sometimes I forget the English language. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, yeah. Anyway, well, uh, it's about time for you and I to take that little trip to the secluded cabin in the woods we were talking about where the bridge is washed out and I think there's some kind of you know, uh, eclipse happening. Mm-hmm. And there's also somebody lurking with a knife uh, that's going to come and kill us as well. So will we fight or will we flight? Who knows? We could we we could just do the entire. F- 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 yeah. <laughs> and then they'll, they'll be like, I don't want this. Yeah. This is too much for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, bad bye until then, Jessica. Bad bye, Elise. <laughs> 